Good morning. I didn't make a slide for this week, but I guess we could go to John chapter 4, verse 30, and maybe um, fix some of the errors that Jay made over the past few weeks. No, no, I don't. Um, If you will turn your Bible, we'll be in Jonah chapter 4 this morning. Jonah is probably, Jonah chapter 4 is probably one of the most jarring chapters in Scripture. To understand Jonah chapter 4 rightly, we must know something about the city of Nineveh. And while we don't have time to do a deep dive into Nineveh and the sinfulness of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, it's important for us to have that context before we get to Jonah chapter 4. We know from history and Scripture that Nineveh was known, that Assyria was known for their military conquest. Conquest. Each year they would go out and they would conquer different cities and different nations. They would destroy the cities to the ground. They would take captives and they would torture the citizens. They were a brutal, wicked empire. When they set out to conquest a new territory, they wanted to make an example for all other nations who thought about coming up against Assyria, that that is not something that they wanted to do. Their tactics in war and their lifestyle was wicked and brutal. So much so that in Jonah chapter 3, the king issues this decree in Jonah 3, 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The wickedness of Nineveh was not a secret to anyone, even the Ninevites themselves. And the nation of Assyria was a constant threat against the nation of Israel. They were constantly threatening threatening to come in and conquer and destroy the nation of Israel. And the same realities that, that occurred in other cities and other nations where cities were destroyed, citizens were tortured, and captives were carried away was a very real threat for the nation of Israelites. So their wickedness and their evil was known to all around. And Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, and this is the city that Jonah is called to go to. Jonah begins with the call of God to the prophet Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. And initially, Jonah disobeys God and flees to the city of Joppa to board a ship to go to Tarshish. Give me one second. My iPad did what it did to Jay a few years ago in Easter and died on me. But I came prepared with the paper back up. And on board the ship, God causes a great storm to come upon the ship. And the crew of the ship reluctantly cast Jonah into the sea. And God mercifully appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. And from the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to God in prayer. And it's, we, it's where we have that, that rememberable prayer in Jonah 2, 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And showing grace and mercy to Jonah, God causes the fish to spit up Jonah on dry land. And here again, he commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah obeys. And Jonah walks throughout the city of Nineveh, and he proclaims God's message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
the Ninevites from the greatest to the least, from the king to the servant, repent of their sins. They cry out to God and they turn from their evil ways. God then relents of the disaster that he was going to bring upon the Ninevites. And if we read the first three chapters of Jonah and we witness God's grace to Jonah as he is in the depths of the sea by appointing a fish to swallow him, as we witness God's grace to Jonah as he causes that fish to spit Jonah up and he saves Jonah in the midst of his sin, as we consider the grace that God has shown the Ninevites, that wicked and evil people, we would expect to read in Jonah chapter 4 a chapter of praise. We would expect to read a doxology from Jonah praising and glorifying God for his grace and mercy to wicked men. But in fact, we read the opposite. We read of Jonah's anger because God acted according to his nature and not against it. And so when we read chapter 4, we know on this side of history, having considered the entire narrative of Jonah, that this is not how we ought to respond to the grace and mercy of God. God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Therefore, we should worship him. And so if you will do honor to the reading of God's word this morning and stand, we will read all of Jonah chapter 4, but we will begin in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. If you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for giving us your word, that we might know your truth, that in your word we might see who you are and we might see how we are in light of you. As we sang this morning, Father, you are the one who judges the secrets of our heart. 
I pray that your word would pierce our hearts this morning, that it would reveal to us the secret sins that we harbor, that we would repent of them and rest in Christ alone for our righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. There is a lot going on with Jonah that I think we need to recognize and acknowledge. The Assyrians were an enemy to the Israelites. There is fear in Jonah because of the wickedness and the brutality of the Ninevites. There is concern for his nation because of what the Assyrians are threatening to do to Israelites. But I think what we see in chapter 4, most clearly in 4 verse 2, is that there is a self-righteousness in Jonah's heart that prevents him from seeing what God is doing. Jonah in chapter 4 sets himself up as the arbiter of God's grace. And the first thing we see in Jonah chapter 4 is that a self-righteous heart prevents us from rejoicing and worshiping God. Jonah 4.1 reads, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah had just witnessed God show mercy and grace to Nineveh, relenting of the wrath that was to come when they cried out to God in repentance. And Jonah is exceedingly displeased and angry. It is difficult for the English to capture to the extent how upset Jonah was or even what he was upset about. The KJV will translate this very similar to the English Standard Version. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. The NASB translated, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. The CSB will read, Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became furious. And the LSB translated, but this was a great evil to Jonah, and he became angry. The root word that we see for it displeased is ra'ah. And in the root of that word is what we normally get for the word evil. And this is why the LSB translated, this was a great evil to Jonah. Jonah considered God's grace and mercy to the city of Nineveh, to such a wicked, evil people as unjust. There is no doubt that Jonah knew who God was. He clarifies this for us in verse 2. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is the reason, all the way back in Jonah 1, that Jonah flees when God calls him to Nineveh. Because Jonah knows that if Nineveh repents and turns from their evil ways, God will show grace and mercy. And when God shows grace and mercy... Jonah is greatly displeased. That act to Jonah was wrong. Jonah expected and desired and wanted God to act against his nature instead of according to his nature to the city of Nineveh. Jonah had no doubts that this is what God would do. Jonah had no doubts of who God truly is. Jonah knew this truth from Scripture, if we were to turn our Bibles back to Exodus 34, we would read an account between the Lord and Moses. After Israel had created the golden calf and had worshipped this 
idol. God sets his heart, or he sets his mind to, to destroy the wicked people, but Moses intercedes for the people before God. And God relents of his disaster, and he gives Moses two new tablets. And then the Lord descends with the cloud and proclaims the name of the Lord to Moses and the people, as we read in Exodus 34, 6 through 8. And it will sound very familiar because it is the same thing that Jonah is saying in Jonah 4, verse 2. The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. When God passes before the nation of Israel, whom he had just relented from his disaster, and he declares who he is. He is a gracious God who is merciful, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Moses' response is to bow down and to worship. But rather than worship as Moses did, Jonah's heart being filled with self-righteousness becomes angry at God. There's a parable in the Gospel of Luke that I think highlights, one, how we are supposed to rejoice in worship, and two, how Jonah reacted to God's grace. And this parable is found in Luke 15. And in 15, 1 and 2, it sets the stage for Jesus telling these parables. Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And the next series of parables are familiar to many of us this morning. Jesus goes on to tell two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep ends this way in Luke 15. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The parable of the coin ends this way. And when she found it, she called together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When God shows grace and mercy to the sinner, our response ought to be rejoicing and worship. For we are the sinner in need of grace and mercy. But then Jesus tells a third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, and you'll recall this one too. The younger brother goes to the father and demands his inheritance because he wants to go and live on his own. And the father gives the young brother the inheritance. He goes out and he lives in the world and he lives in the flesh and he squanders his inheritance. And at the lowest point of his life, he remembers how well his father treated the servants. And so he comes back to the father to apologize to the father, to repent of his sins and hope that the father would hire him as a servant. But the father sees the younger brother coming from a long way off and the father runs to him. The father hugs him. The father rejoices that the son has returned and he tells the servant to get the fattened calf and they are going to celebrate the return of the son. 
And then in Luke 15, beginning in verse 25, we read the response of that older brother. And this is set in the context of the Pharisees and the scribes who are wondering, who is this man that he accepts sinners and tax collectors into his company? We hear the account of the older brother's response. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he was received him back safe and sound. But he, that is the older brother, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Rather than rejoice at the one that was found that we see in the parable of the lost sheep, And the lost coin, rather than rejoice at the grace and mercy God has shown, the older brother is angry. The younger brother did not deserve the grace and mercy of the father. Jonah, like the eldest son, had experienced the grace and steadfast love of the father. And Jonah, like the eldest son, was angered at the grace the father has shown Jonah, in his anger and his self-righteous heart, would rather die then worship God for his grace and mercy. Many of us will read this narrative this morning and we'll clutch our chest and we'll say, I would never behave like Jonah. I read the narrative of Jonah and there's no way that I would ever act in such a manner. But sadly, the church is not immune from the self-righteous inclinations of Jonah's heart. This self-righteous attitude can show itself in many ways in the church today. And if I was to be honest with you this morning, many of them are true of my own heart. That person over there is beyond salvation. There is no way that person who is living that lifestyle would ever come to Christ. If anyone deserves the wrath of God, if anyone deserves to suffer the punishment of God, it is this person may also show itself in an intentional avoidance of someone or a refusal to proclaim the gospel to somebody because they get under our skin or we can't stand them. When we foster a heart that believes that people are beyond the grace of God or that they are undeserving of salvation, we foster self-righteousness. This self-righteousness prevents us from rejoicing in what belongs to the Lord, salvation. And it sets ourselves up as the arbiters of grace. We become the determiners of who deserves God's grace. Not that person living that lifestyle. Not this person who has wronged me. Only those who I deem worthy of God's grace will I proclaim the gospel to We become blind to see what God is doing around us. Jonah was blind to see God glorifying his name by showing grace and mercy to the Ninevites. 
I see many Christians in our day and age living in despair at the state of our nation. And to be sure, there are many lamentable realities about our nation and about the time that we live in. But Jonah's message to that wicked, evil city was yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Nineveh turned from their sin. They, were, they turned from their evil way and they called out to God. We have a greater message. We have a greater message than the one that Jonah proclaimed here in Nineveh. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't proclaim 40 days in America will be overthrown, but we proclaim repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Word made flesh, the great I Am, who was born of a virgin, who lived a righteous life, who suffered the death on the cross for sinners, who was buried and resurrected, and He sits at the right hand of the Father. Repent and believe. And when God redeems His people... Like the angels in heaven, we ought to rejoice and give praise to God for the work that he is doing. But we will not rejoice and we will not worship if our heart is filled with self-righteousness. Not only does self-righteousness prevent us from rejoicing and worship, but our self-righteousness prevents us from seeing our need for God's grace. I'm going to read again Jonah 4, 3 through 9. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that, he might, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and, he might die and said, It is better for me to die than live. But Jonah, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Twice in this passage, the Lord responds to Jonah with the very similar question the first time in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? And rather than pause, and rather than consider his own heart and to evaluate his heart, Jonah, knowing who God is, exits the city to wait and see if God would change his mind and bring that destruction. Jonah is so blinded by his anger and frustration at God's response to Nineveh that he fails to recognize the grace that God has shown him and the nation of Israel. We only have one other account of Jonah in all of Scripture, and that is found in 2 Kings chapter. 14. And Jonah is a prophet in the time of Jeroboam when he is reigning in Israel. And Jeroboam is not known to be a good king. He is evil and wicked in the sight of the Lord. The nation of Israel is living in unrepentant sin. 
And this is the context in which we read of Jonah coming before the king who is wicked, who is evil in the midst of a nation, who is living in unrepentant sin. We get this narrative in 2 Kings 14, beginning in verse 23. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath to as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefer. In the middle of living in unrepentant sin, God expands the borders of Israel. God shows grace and mercy to the nation of Israel who is living under a wicked and evil king. We get further clarification of the wickedness of Israel from Jonah's contemporary Amos. In Amos chapter 2, we read, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. This is the nation of Israel. This is the king of Israel when Jonah is called to be a prophet. And Jonah had been a witness to the grace of God that he had on Israel in the midst of their wickedness. But not only did Jonah see it to the nation of Israel, Jonah personally experienced the grace of God in his disobedience. Jonah had been saved from death in the sea and he had been saved from the belly of the fish by the grace and mercy of God. Yet Jonah could not see that Israel and that himself was as undeserving of the grace of God as the Ninevites were. So he continued to hope for the destruction of Nineveh. Jonah failed and could not see because of the self-righteousness in the heart is that he deserved the grace of God about as much as the wicked, evil nation of Nineveh. And though he had experienced the grace and mercy of God, the Ninevites should not have experienced the same grace and mercy. And though he knew who God was because he knew God according to his nature, Jonah exits the city and he hopes for the destruction of Nineveh. I think far too often we forget who we once were before we came to Christ. It is easy 5, 10, 20 years past having been redeemed to forget that we too are wicked, vile sinners, undeserving the grace of God, yet God in His love for us poured out His grace and mercy and He redeemed us. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He writes similarly in Ephesians, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Self-righteousness causes us to forget what miserable sinners we once were. Self-righteousness turns our prayers of thanksgiving and praise to God for the grace of our salvation and turns them into the prayers Of the Pharisee who prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Self-righteousness causes us that rather than trusting in the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ for our salvation, the self-righteous heart turns in itself to works for salvation. Not only does self-righteousness stop us from recognizing the grace that we have been shown, it prevents us from seeing the grace we continually need. The second time the Lord asked Jonah if he has a right to be angry in regard to the plant that had grown up and that the Lord had taken away, Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The plant had grown up and was appointed by the Lord to be a grace to Jonah in the midst of his sin. And we'll see why here momentarily. But Jonah, rather than recognizing the continued grace of God in his life, stubbornly saw that grace as something he deserved. Jonah deserved the shade of the plant as he watched, waiting and hoping for the judgment of God upon the Ninevites. Self-righteousness distorts our reality to where we believe that God owes us. Jonah, as an Israelite, as the covenant people of God, presumed upon God's grace such that he failed to recognize his continual need for it. And as much as he was angry at God's grace upon the Ninevites, Jonah didn't recognize his need for God's grace moment by moment. This is true in much of what we see in antinomianism and legalism. The antinomian will distort God's grace by believing that one can come to Christ and live in sin. But scripture commands, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under, you are under grace. There is an arrogance and self 
righteousness that declares I can pray a prayer of salvation to be saved by grace, but then I will continue to live my life how I see fit. This person not, does not live in the grace of God, but based on their own moral sinful standard, which they deem is more appropriate for their life than God's holy word. The legalist, on the other hand, will distort God's grace by believing that they can rely on their works to be counted as righteous before God. But Scripture tells us no one is righteous, no, not one. Yet the legalist will heap up laws and standards. And if you obey these laws and these standards, then you can count yourself as saved. There's an arrogance and self-righteousness that declares I can earn my own salvation by being a moral good person. Last night, Becca was um, doing school with the kids, and she was working through the Bible curriculum that, that we have, and yesterday's emphasis was on Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And I, was, I, I came in, and I was walking through the questions with our children. I was struck by how often in my own heart, I fail to recognize that every second I am in Christ is a grace of God. Amen. It's a grace that God has promised to give, but it is a grace of God nonetheless. There is no point in my Christian walk where I begin to deserve the grace that God has shown me. And it is terrifying how often we can forget our need for God's grace. Christ has promised us in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Self-righteousness robs us from resting in the promises of God, and it prevents us from recognizing that wonderful truth that Jonah proclaimed in chapter 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. If you are in Christ this morning, your salvation, beginning to end for all eternity, belongs to the Lord. It comes from the Lord, and it is kept by the Lord by His grace. And so if self-righteousness prevents us from rejoicing and worshiping God, and if self-righteousness prevents us from recognizing our need for grace, how should we respond when we are self-righteous? Repent. God graciously reproves us so that we might repent of our sin and rejoice in His grace and mercy. Those same two questions, Jonah, do you do well to be angry that God poses Jonah are to drive Jonah to repentance. After Jonah's prayer, this is who I knew you were, God, and this is why I did not want to come to Nineveh. As Jonah's heart is filled with anger and fury at what God has done for the nation of Nineveh, Rather than strike Jonah down, the Lord simply asks, Do you do well to be angry? It is a moment for Jonah to stop and pause and consider his heart. Do I do well to be angry at the grace and mercy God has shown 
sinners just like me. But initially Jonah leaves the city and he goes and he sits out and he waits and he hopes for the destruction of Nineveh. And as we saw, the Lord then causes a plant to grow and the shade to cover over Jonah. In verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant to save him from his discomfort. Discomfort here is the same root word that we find in verse 1 for Jonah being displeased. It is, it is evil to save him from his evil. The use of the word is to show us that though Jonah considered what God had done for the nation of Nineveh to be wrong, it is in fact his heart that is wrong. It is his heart that is evil. And rather than cast Jonah aside, just like the Lord appointed the great fish to rescue Jonah from his sinfulness, the Lord appoints this plant to rescue Jonah from his sinfulness. God is using this plant to teach Jonah the sinfulness of his heart and to bring him to repentance. This is clear when Jonah persists in his sinfulness by responding that he has every right to be angry. And God says in the final verse, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God is sovereign over all the nations. The Lord has shown Jonah grace and mercy and pity for the nation of Israel and the courts of Israel. If we were to turn back the last two verses of that passage we read earlier in 2 Kings chapter 14, we read, For the Lord saw... For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, that evil, wicked king who persisted in sin. He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. In the courts of Israel, Jonah seized the grace of God for that wicked pitiful nation of Israel. And here God is showing his grace and mercy and pity for the enemies of Israel in Nineveh. Jonah and his self-righteousness could not recognize what the Lord was doing and bringing glory to his name by showing grace and mercy to this Gentile nation. So the Lord graciously engages Jonah to bring him to a point where he views the Ninevites as the Lord viewed them and to bring Jonah to repentance. We don't know if Jonah repents of his sin. We don't know if he continues in his anger. We could spend hours speculating as to the outcome of Jonah. And for his own reasons, the Lord has, not saw, has saw fit to not include Jonah's response in the canon of Scripture. So why might the book be ended this way with this question? Let me offer one possibility 
by way of closing this morning, I think that the book of Jonah ends this way, not so that we can wonder how Jonah might respond, but that we might consider our hearts in response to this question and this narrative. There's an inherent temptation when we talk about self-righteousness that we begin to think about our self-righteous neighbor who might need to hear about this. We think about the self-righteous people outside of these doors who might need to hear about this. There is an inherent danger that we might fail to recognize the self-righteousness that wells up in our heart and our need to repent of that self-righteousness. Do you view people as Jonah did, wicked, evil, and undeserving the grace of God? Or do you see people in need of Jesus Christ? Do you pray for the salvation of those who have hurt you? Do you pray for the salvation of those who have wronged you? Do you pray for the salvation of your enemy, knowing that apart from Christ, they stand condemned as you once did? Do you share the gospel indiscriminately with those that the Lord has placed in your life, whether they be your best friend or that coworker you wish you could avoid every second of every day? Do you rejoice in the salvation of the lost, or do we tend to turn our nose up because they might be in a different theological tradition than we are? Do you have self-righteousness in your heart in the way you view those around you that you must repent of. Every sin will be accounted for. Every wicked and evil thought or deed, whether it be from the violent hands of Nineveh or the selfish, self-righteous heart of Jonah, this is as true for our enemies as it is true for you and me this morning. For those who are not in Christ, they will bear the penalty of their sins for all eternity, suffering the just wrath of God. For the people of God, it is accounted for on the cross. I think there's a tendency sometimes that we, we just begin to believe that God has overlooked our sin, but that is not the case. God doesn't overlook the sins of the redeemed, but they are paid for in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul clarifies this for us in Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. Our sins, if you are in Christ, are accounted for in Jesus himself. If you are not in Christ this morning, I urge you to repent and to believe upon Jesus Christ for your salvation. There is no other hope by which you might be saved than Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ this morning, these past few weeks we've been walking through the narrative of John 4, looking at the Samaritan and the woman at the well. A woman who is an outcast because she's a Samaritan. A woman who is an outcast because she is a woman. 
a woman who is an outcast because of the sin that had so filled her life. She avoided the gaze and the whispers of those in her community. Yet when she experienced the grace of God, she was so filled with joy. She ran to those who once despised her, who may have ridiculed her and spoken behind her back. And she encouraged them to come, come and see Having experienced the grace, the mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord, she rejoiced in worship, proclaiming Jesus Christ to those around her. And many Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we would be like the woman at the well. With rejoicing, we would declare, come and see that we might not be like Jonah who goes out to the east of the city to wait and see the destruction of his enemies. If you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, you judge the secrets of our heart. Father, you know if we are harboring self-righteousness, even if it's in its beginning stages where we begin to consider those around us not worthy of your grace. I pray that you would reveal our sin to us and that we might repent. That we might know that it is by grace alone we have been saved. And having considered that grace, I pray that we would be a people that rejoice and worship at the salvation you have given us. That we would be so filled with joy that we would desire to tell all around us the glory of Christ. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning who has not come to Christ, I pray that you would show them the wickedness of their heart, that the only righteousness they might have is found in Jesus Christ alone, and that you would bring them to repentance and faith this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.